You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Let's have a word of prayer this morning as we look to the Word. Father, we come this morning and we thank you for what we've experienced thus far. We thank you for the fellowship of believers being here together. We thank you for the reading of your word, to hear it proclaimed. Father, we thank you for corporate worship to come and to sing of who you are, to declare your praises. Lord, we thank you for this time that we can open your word and hear from you. And, and Lord, we confess this morning that there are times that as your people, we don't understand you and we don't know you. Um, we know very little about the God that we say we love and serve. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you'd open our eyes to truth. I pray that you'd help our hearts to be in tune with what you are doing. Lord, I pray that the message would be empowered by your Spirit. And, Lord, I pray that above all things today, that Jesus Christ, our wonderful Savior, who gave himself for us, would be magnified and glorified in our presence today. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many folks you enjoy raking leaves. Can I see your hands? You enjoy another one person. Okay, there's several. Okay. I, I don't know about you, but it, raking leaves for me is just an exercise of futility. I don't understand why you do it. They, they blow, especially at our house, they blow across the, the house here. And eventually, if you wait long enough, they blow into the golf course. Okay. And so uh, raking for me is something that I just despise. And if you love it, that's great. That's, that's on you. That's wonderful. I just can't stand it. So Monday, last Monday, after that strong wind gust that we had, something unusual happened. The leaves, instead of blowing out into the golf course, blew between our house and the neighbor's house. There was no wind between there. I'm not exaggerating that there were probably about 40 cubic tons of leaves between our home. Okay, not 40, maybe 20, all right? But it was, it was full. It was full. And it was Monday, and, and for me, Monday is just one of those days that I almost always wake up with a bad attitude. I do. It's, it's, after Sunday, it's Monday. And Kim said, you know, we should get those leaves raked up and, and I'll help you if you want, although she didn't. And I'm okay. So I had an attitude. I just had an attitude about it. And, so, and everything went wrong. I went into the garage and tried to find the, the doohickey thing that you put on the blower that sucks the leaves up, whatever that's called, you, you know, that, that thing. Couldn't find it, had to, go to, to scrounge through the garage in a closet back there, and then I found it, and then I, I couldn't find the rake that I needed, and then I got that, and then I just thought, I'm having a terrible day, I might as well take my phone and just listen to Scripture. Maybe that will soothe the beast within me, and I'll, I'll just do that. And so I got my headset on, tucked it in my pocket, the phone, and started to listen, and I listened to First Samuel, starting at chapter 15, all the way until... The end, chapter 31, the whole story. And I wish I could tell you that during that time my attitude improved. It didn't. I still had a terrible attitude. Terrible attitude. But as I listened to the entire story, something dawned on me, which was really good, that oftentimes we get involved in the Scripture and, and we have this view that's very narrow because we're right there in the chapter or the verse. And how helpful it is at times to have this helicopter view of an entire story, 
It's not a bad idea. The truth is, we as believers ought to read our Bibles more like this. Right? The idea is not just to get through the Word, but the Word to get through you. There's a difference there. So, so it's not a bad idea to take the book of James and don't just read your three chapters. Read the whole book. Take the book of Hebrews and read the whole book. Take Matthew's account and read it. It's not as long as you think. Or take a story and a character and read the entire narrative. And when you do, you will get a different perspective. You will get this overview, this, this helicopter view of what's really happening in the text. And so, on Monday, I had a chance to do that and, and just to listen to Saul's life and to get this view it gave me a new perspective of Saul. I want to talk to you about that this morning as we wrap up his life, and we're going to move on to David next week. Let me just give you an overview before we get to chapter 15. We're introduced to Saul in chapter number 9, and, and Saul is uh, great-looking, he's tall, he's handsome, he's a man's man, and that's our first introduction to Saul. There is very little spiritual said about Saul, because the truth is he was not a very spiritual man. So the first thing we notice is his exterior qualities. He's a strapping, strong young man. We, we then come to chapter number... I just lost my place here. I hate when I do that. Oh, chapter number 10. And in chapter number 10, uh, he is anointed by Samuel. And Samuel says something very interesting to him. He says, listen, the Spirit of God will come upon you, and when the Spirit comes upon you, do whatever He commands you to do. And it's reminiscent of... Samson and the Philistines. And so Samuel is confronted with a task and he does nothing. He is passive. He does nothing. We come to chapter 15 and uh, he is confronted again with his sin. He did not do what God told him to do. And in verse 24 he says, I sinned. But what he does is he blames the people for his sin. It's not true repentance. He's confronted, embarrassed, and caught and now he blames everyone else. We get to the same chapter, verse number 30, and again he says, I have sinned. And the very next breath is, but stay with me, don't leave me, worship with me so that the people see that I'm a good guy. We continue now in the life of Saul. We come to chapter 17, and he's confronted again as the king on his duty. Chapter 17 is a great chapter about David and Goliath. We'll be there in a few weeks. But here is King Saul, who is the king of Israel. He allows Goliath to blaspheme God and his armies, and he does nothing. Nothing. Again, confronted and passive. We get to chapter 18, and Saul, now because of his jealousy and hatred of David, is thrown into a rage. And he invents this new game. Pin the javelin on the person. He takes a javelin and he thrusts it across the room and just misses David. And in a chapter later, I think chapter 20 or so, he does the same with his son Jonathan. Chapter 22. Because of his rage, he executes the high priest and 85 family members. We come to chapter 24, and here he again is confronted with his sin. He is in a cave. He is relieving himself. And David is so close to him that he cuts a piece of his garment off 
Saul does, is unaware of it. Saul leaves the cave and David says, Hey, listen, king, just let you know, I could have killed you today. You were that close and I didn't. Saul again confronted. And what does he do? He weeps. He cries. He feels bad about it. But doesn't change. In chapter 26, again, David spares his life. He sneaks down into the midst of Saul's camp while he's sleeping. He could have taken his spear and smote him to the ground. He doesn't. He instead takes some of the supplies and then he says, Hey, king, wake up. I could have killed you. And Saul once again says, I have sinned. He weeps and he cries. But he does not change. We get to chapter 31. It's the end of Saul's life. And it's over. This morning, I am not talking now about a snapshot of Saul's life. We have this overview. We have a pretty good idea now of the person that Saul is. And I never want to deal with just snapshots. It's not fair. Could you imagine if someone took a picture of us on our very worst day and that's all that people could see? Could you imagine if we did it with Scripture? Think about our, our heroes of the faith. Think about Noah. If we took one snapshot at the wrong time in his life, you know what you'd see? A drunk. Not a man who found grace and favor in God's eyes. Take a snapshot of Abraham, the friend of God. And if you get him at the right time, what you see is a liar who lied to save his own skin. Take a snapshot of David the man after God's own heart, and take a snapshot of him committing adultery with Bathsheba, which would be embarrassing for him to see the snapshot, and us as well. Go to the New Testament. Look at John, the disciple of love. We know him as... He, he, he writes letters and says, My beloved, I love you, I care for you. It's all about love. And take a snapshot where he loses his temper. And he wants to call fire down on the Samaritans and destroy a whole village. Or Peter, where he denies the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking this morning about a snapshot. Because God doesn't deal with his people like that. Aren't you thankful this morning that God doesn't deal with you and me like that? Could you imagine this morning if we took the, the worst part of your life and we hung it on the wall and said, This is that person. It would be tragic. But our God does not do that. He does not do that with his, the heroes of faith. He does not do that with us today. He doesn't take a snapshot. We all blow it. We all fall. We all fail. We occupy this flesh. We are bent on sin and we struggle. But listen to what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's how great our God is, that when I blow it, when I fall, my life is not ended, it's not over, it's not that snapshot. When I repent, when I come back to Him, I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed, I'm made right. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. John tells us, hey, don't sin. But if you sin, listen to me, there is an advocate. There is one who comes alongside. There is one who pleads our case. And it's not just anybody. In 1 John chapter 2, the idea is that this advocate is not Johnny Cochran. This advocate is 
the righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he pleads our case. He is our advocate. He is the one who says, Father, forgive them. I've exchanged my righteousness for their sinfulness. It's the great exchange. I took their pain. I took their penalty. I bore the wrath. I am the propitiation. I've satisfied your wrath. You cannot judge them again. They are righteous in me. That's our God. And that's how He treats us. And this morning, we should thank God for it. Some of you folks, you think the Christian life looks like this. You think you come to Christ and this is what happens. I'm saved and now look at whoop, 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 just going to heaven. Everything's great. Has that been your experience? Do you like the whoop, 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 right? That's not my experience. Can I tell you my experience? Lord, I trust you. I'm a sinner. I need your grace. And Lord, I'm going to try to, to take this journey with you. And man, it's going well and I'm learning something. And, oh man, you know, I just blew it. Mm. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. God, I want to get back on track with you. I love you. I know you love me. And Lord, I'm doing well now. And here's what's happened. Oh man, you know what? I shouldn't have said that. And Lord, here I am again. And I, I thank you for your forgiveness. And it's going well. And this is great. And, and, and then all of a sudden something else happens. That is the Christian life. It is a series of going upward and onward. And what happens after time is that my, my low spots or my high spots are higher than my low spots used to be. There is growth. And for you and I as believers, this is our goal. We are looking to go forward in Christ. This is what we want. This is my heart's desire. I don't want to stay the same person. I don't want to be the same person. I want God to change me and mold me and make me and be on this journey with Him. And that's our desire. We look at Saul's life, and it wasn't a snapshot. It was the trajectory of his life. Here is Saul. He's confronted. And when he is confronted, he says, I've sinned. He weeps. He feels bad. He feels stupid. He found out. He's confronted. And he never changes. Never. Never. Listen to me, believer. When you are confronted with God's word, it is not to destroy you. It is to change you. And there are times in all of our lives when we are confronted with sin. Sometimes it's by the Word of God. You hear it preached and proclaimed, and the Spirit of God takes the Word, and He puts it right in your face and says, Hey, listen, this is for you. And you're convicted by it. You're confronted with your sin. Sometimes it's your spouse. And your husband or wife says, Hey, you know what? This is an issue. This is a problem. And you're confronted. Sometimes it's your kids or your parents or another believer. We've got to be careful. That is not the time to make excuses. It is not the time to be mad. It's not the time to blame someone else. It's not the time to feel bad and even weep but never change. And this was Saul's problem. Confronted time and time again, and he never changes. How do we keep ourselves from this? Uh, believer, listen to me. I, I don't know about you, but in my Christian life, I want more. I know there's more. I know this God of heaven is deep and rich and glorious and I truly don't even know Him. I want more. And I don't want to be the kind of person who every time I'm confronted with something, I make excuses. I blame someone else. I get mad. Or I even weep and cry and feel bad, but I never change. Saul missed it. And he comes to the end of his life and he's still the same person we find in chapter 9. He never changes. I want you to notice two things that I believe Saul missed out on. 
He missed out on the seriousness of his own sin, and then he missed out on the steadfastness of a God who abounds in loving kindness. Take your Bibles with me this morning. Look at Psalm 51. We'll compare David to Saul. They are diametrically opposed. They are completely different. And here is David, and David is confronted now with his sin. You remember his sin? Adultery. Murder. And Nathan comes and says, David, there's a problem with you. You are the man. And unlike Saul, David does two things here. The first is he sees the seriousness of his sin. He says, have mercy upon me, O God. David does not evade, he does not blame, he does not excuse or trivialize. Notice how he describes his sin. Chapter 51, verse number 1, he says, My transgressions, my transgressions. It has the idea of rebellion. David understands that he has sinned against God. He has rebelled against Him. Look at verse number 2. He goes on in verse number 2 and says, My iniquity, my iniquity. It means perverseness. It means twistedness. David says, here's my life, and I know my sin. It is perverse. It is twisted. It's not in line with what you have for me, God. He goes on to verse number 3 and says, My sin, this falling short of God's standard, missing the mark. And in verse number 4 he says, This evil. David sees his sin as ugly, repulsive in nature. He's not worried about how it made him look or how he feels, or being embarrassed or exposed. He's not making excuses. Well, Nathan, you think that's bad. You remember how bad Saul was. He doesn't do that, nor does he compare. When we are confronted, we must not excuse, compare, or minimize our sin. This morning, we all have a tendency, when we're confronted with sin, to excuse it, to trivialize it, to blame someone else. And you can do that, but you will never grow in grace and you'll never have the victory God wants for you. We must see the seriousness of our own sin. You know what we do? We're confronted and the first thing we do is we excuse ourselves and we say, listen, yeah, I might have done that, but you did this. Or they did that. Or it's not as bad as some other people. Listen to me. God is not interested in any of that nonsense. He wants us to see the seriousness of our own sin. This morning, your wicked gossip, your bitterness within, your unkind words, your lust and your greed and your secrets on the internet when no one else is around. Your self-righteousness and self-promoting, your wicked pride is as evil as any sinner that you can conjure up in your own mind. That sin, your sin, my sin, is the very sin that hung Jesus Christ on the cross. And it's not right for us to minimize that. We must see the seriousness, not of him or her or someone else's sin, but of our own sin. See it like David saw it. 
My sin is wicked. My sin is perverse. My sin is twisted. My sin misses the mark. My sin is a problem. And David sees it. He understands it. It's seriousness. In verse number 4, he sees the essence of his sin is the creature thumbing his nose at the Creator. Verse number 4 says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And, and listen, David is not excusing himself and saying, Listen, I don't care about anybody else I hurt. I don't care about Bathsheba or her husband or her father or grandfather. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that God ultimately defines proper behavior towards others. And when I sin against others, ultimately I am sinning against God. God says this is right and righteous, and when I decide not to do those things, yes, I've sinned against them, but ultimately I have sinned against God. When we willingly decide to disobey God, in our hearts and minds we are wishing that God was not God, that He did not exist, that His laws were not there, that they would just disappear. David is not excusing himself. He is seeing his sin for what it is. Look at verse number 5. He says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And again, David is not saying, Hey, it's my mom and dad's fault here. What he's saying is, I understand the core problem is me. I am a sinner in the core of my nature. Look at what he, how he begins verse 5. He says, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Verse 6 says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Uh, David says, Listen, I know I'm a sinner, but I also know this. God has designed me for more than this. God has designed me for relationship. God has designed me for knowing Him. God has designed me for fellowship with Him. David is not looking for a quick fix. David is not just saying, okay, God, forgive me of all my sin. David sees it for what it is. Matter of fact, here's how he describes it. He describes it um, as it's written in a book, blotted out. It's a deep stain. Wash it. Make me clean. It, I've been robbed of my joy. Lord, restore me. And look at verse number 17. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. When David's attitude is this way towards sin, he says, God will not despise. My friend, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on in your life, but listen to me. As a believer, don't you want fellowship with this God of heaven? I mean, don't you want to know him? Don't you want to be pillow your head at night and know that all is well with this God of heaven? David had sinned. David blew it. But David said, listen, I'm acknowledging how serious this is. And God, I want you to turn your face back towards me. For too many of us, we live life that God's face is not turned toward us. It's turned away from us. Um, I want to find someone that can grab their face. Travis, I can grab your face, can't I? I can go further back, but Travis likes me to grab his face. If I'm at odds with Travis, you know how this goes. And we're having trouble. Travis turns his face from me, right? It's like, eh, eh. And this is a picture that God is showing us here in Psalm 51. I don't want that to be God's face toward me. I want God to be pleased with me. I, I want to be in fellowship with He's made me for this. I want His face to turn toward me. Right? I want fellowship with Him. 
And, and David says, listen, I know how serious my sin is. It's serious, man. I blew it. It's wicked. It's harmful. But God, I want you to be pleased with me. I want to be right with you. I'm acknowledging this. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Turn your face back toward me. He wants to restore that relationship. And he understands that God must do it. God must create this new heart. God must do work by His Spirit. God must forgive us and transform us and cleanse us and have something going on within. So David says, look it, I know I sin, but I first and foremost see the seriousness of my own sin. It's a problem. My friend this morning, believer, listen to me. Quit taking inventory with everybody else. Today, say, God, here I am. Peel back my heart. You know me. You see my sin. And Lord, I am acknowledging my sin before you. It's a problem. It's serious. Let's deal with this. The first step of the seriousness of seeing the seriousness of sin. God, I need you. But here's the second thing, and this is important. David not only sees the seriousness of his sin, but now he has new hope and strength in the steadfastness of God's love. David bases his forgiveness and his restoration not on David. Not on David saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be better. I'm going to clean up my act. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, whatever those things are. I'm going to pull my, I'm going to do it, Lord. He doesn't do that. What he does is he goes back to the character and the nature of God. He says, have mercy upon me, O Lord. Verse number one. O God, according to thy loving kindness. David says, God, I blew it, and it's serious. But Lord, I want, I'm trusting in who you are, the nature of God to restore this relationship. There's an interesting psalm. Psalm 130, verse 4 says this. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And that's a strange verse, you know, that there's forgiveness, and because it's forgiveness, I should fear you. But listen to me. When, when we see the seriousness, of our sin, the seriousness of our sin, and we know the God of heaven, that he is holy and righteous and just, it amazes us that this God would still offer forgiveness to his people. I want to tell you something about this God that we serve today. This God that we serve today delights. He delights in showing loving kindness to his people. This is a God who looks not to destroy us, but to forgive us and to restore us. He's not out to destroy you. He wants you to repent. He wants you to be made right. And listen, this is the God of heaven who says, my loving kindness, my faithfulness, my goodness is turned towards you. And you should fear me. It's crazy that this God, who is holy, righteous, and just, who will pour his wrath out upon all sin, still longs to forgive his people and to restore that relationship. This is our God. He is kind. He is loving. Um, some of us think, okay, that's great, Pastor, but the truth is, if that's God, then certainly I can do whatever I want to do. If that's the case, then why not sin? Don't worry about it, because you're going to forgive me anyways. Listen, if that's your attitude this morning, I say to you this morning, you do not know the God of heaven, and you do not know your identity. Because when I know God, and I, and I, I try to wrap my head around the idea that He loves me and cares for me, that He's always looking toward me, He's pursuing me. My attitude isn't, well, I'll do whatever I want. I'll continue to sin. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse number 4. I think it'll be on the wall here in just a second. 
Paul says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance. It leads me to repentance. When I sin and see the seriousness of it, I then need to look to God and see the God who is loving, kind, and gracious and say, God, I I can't believe this is who you are. You are good. You forbear. You're long-suffering. How many times have we blown it over and over and over again? Jesus said to the disciples, you know, you didn't forgive seven times 70. And the truth is, in our own lives, we sin against Him daily, hundreds and thousands of times. It shouldn't cause me to sin more. It should cause me to say, God, you are good. You are righteous. You are holy. I'm amazed that you still invite me to come into your presence and find forgiveness and find healing and find restoration. It should lead us to repentance to repentance i can't believe god how good you are sin now has no sway compared to his love and here's the amazing thing about our god when you know how good he is it changes us it changes us he restores us verse number 17 i'm sorry 13 then will i teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Unto thee. The God of heaven, listen to me, He doesn't throw people away. Sometimes in our circles, we have folks in our midst who they sin, and we're done with them. I'm finished with you. You know, we shoot our wounded. This is not the God that we serve. The God that we serve longs for us to be made right with Him. This is our God. And, and, and he says, I will restore you. I will wash you. I will cleanse you. I will restore that fellowship. I'll restore that relationship with you. Through Jesus Christ and what he's done, we can be brought back together and in right fellowship with him. But not only that, not only does he restore us, but he then uses us again. This is our God. That although we sin and we fail and we fall, when we confess and repent, He says, look at my love, look at my kindness, look how I, I long for you to know me. Come back. And when we come back, you know what He does? He doesn't keep on beating us up and, 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 and rehearsing over in our minds and our hearts what we've done wrong. You know what He does? He welcomes us back. He restores us. And then He uses us again. Some of you folks this morning, you know what? Sin has battered you, it has scarred you, it has hurt you. And maybe you think this morning, well, I'm done. God can't use me. He can't. I'm finished. I just blew it. That's not the God of the New Testament. That's not the God of the Old Testament. That's not the God of the Bible. He says, I want you to see the seriousness of your sin because it does cause pain and trouble. But at the same time, I want you to see me for who I am. When you see a God that is full of love and pursues you, it changes my whole attitude. Sin has no more sway on that. And God says, I'll restore that relationship. Not only will I restore it, I will use you again. This is our God. This is how he deals with his people. And this morning, I don't want to be like Saul. As people see the trajectory of my life that I'm confronted, I'm confronted, I feel bad, I blame, I feel sorry, I never change. That gets old. And that's not God's plan. God's plan is He confronts us not to destroy us, but to change us. And as I'm changed in Him by His power and by His Spirit, I confess this sin. 
I see Him for who He is. That love draws me to Him, and I serve Him faithfully. Don't be a fool. Don't be Saul. Have the heart of David that sees the seriousness of our own sin, repents, looks at God in His character, receives forgiveness, and then gets back up and become useful for Him. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.